Hey, good morning, church. How we doing? Everyone good? Good morning to those that are joining us online. Uh, everyone good? All right. Did you guys have a great week? It's so good to be together. It's just great to gather together on a Sunday indoors and just be able to worship. Uh, Jesus, uh, throughout the Gospels, as he was talking about his return and his second coming, over and over and over again, uh, would say to his believers and his followers, he would say, prepare, ready yourselves, make ready yourselves. And so I want to read from Revelation 1, verse 7 and 8. Behold, he is coming with the clouds, and every eye will see him, even those who pierced him, and all of the tribes of the earth will wail on account of him. Even so, amen. I am the Alpha and the Omega, says the Lord God, who is and who was and who is to come, the Almighty. God says, I am the Alpha and the Omega, who is and who was and who is to come the Almighty. God, thank you for revealing yourself to us. You're the Alpha. Before there was anything, God, you were. And out of nothingness, you spoke, and there came planets and stars and out of your power, Lord, there came us. We worship you as the Alpha, creating all things by your power and by your word. And Lord God, we confess that you are the Omega, that all things end with you. That all things end with you, God, that you are the end. Lord, you bring about final story, Lord. You bring about the final piece of your return and consummating and taking your people with you for an eternity of praise. And so we worship you as the almighty God. We worship you, Lord, as the beginning and the end. We fix our eyes on you, Lord, awaiting your coming. We long for you, God. We want you, God, to come. We can see you face to face. You are the Almighty and the King over all kings. Every throne is yours. And every praise is yours. And every knee will bow to you, Lord. We pray this in your name, Jesus. Amen. Let's stand and worship together.
how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. For I once was lost, but now I'm found. Was blind, but now I see. Hallelujah. Christ is risen from the grave. Hallelujah. Christ is risen from the
to see that day when we see his face. And on the day you call me in to heaven's sweet embrace, I'll see your scars, your open eyes, the beauty of your face. Through tears of joy, I lift my voice in everlasting praise. our anthem that you are risen and you are alive and death has lost its sting and fear has lost its power there's so much goodness for us Lord because you've come back to life because you endured death and now you are alive we have inherited so much. We praise you, Lord, for the sonship, the daughtership that you've given us because of your resurrection. We praise you for the security of salvation because you are alive. We praise you for the freedom from worry and anxiety because you are living and on the throne. We praise you that you're the Father, Lord, that takes care of all things. You are the provider and the giver, Lord. And because you are alive, we can rest in you. But we worship you. Our anthem for eternity, Lord, is that you are alive, that you are risen. Hallelujah. Hallelujah, Lord. Pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. You can be seated. Back here, here I am. All right. As we begin to regather inside, uh, there's also a lot of activities that are they're starting to pop up around the church, and uh, so I just want to highlight a few of those uh, as we uh, come out of uh, time of worship through music. Uh, if you are new to our church or newer to our church, we would love to connect with you. There's a welcome team that uh, if you text uh, to the number that you're going to see on the screen, I think right there, uh, text the word welcome and uh, this team would love to make connection with you. Uh, it's Pastor Sean and some of his people. So if you've met him, that's who will be contacting you. No one will chase you down or anything like that. It'll all be over the phone to start, but uh, they just want to begin to welcome you into our family. Also, if you're new here at the church or newer, there's going to be a basics class next Sunday. That's a great way to begin to enter into who Freshwater is. So at the basics class, you'll, be, you'll begin to learn who we are, what we believe, and it's an amazing opportunity to meet a few other people here at the church as well as, as, well as some of the leadership. Uh, our kids' ministry is beginning on Sundays, as some of you know. Uh, you all have kids up there right now. The other thing that's going on is midweek, we're starting our Wednesday kids' programs, which is for first through sixth graders. And there's a girls' program on Wednesday night, and there's a boys' program. And so uh, the girls' program is called GEMS. The boys' program is 
Trail Life USA. If you want more information on that, you can get on our website, thefreshwater.church, and there's a place to sign up there uh, and just begin to, to get into that ministry. So first through sixth grade boys and girls, we'd love to have you join us. The last thing is there's a women's event coming up this Saturday, and it's a drive through event. So you would come through the church, drive through. There's a gift that they'll give you, and there's also, they just want to take time if you need prayer, uh, coffee. There's just going to be, it's a neat time to, to reconnect with some of the ladies who maybe you haven't seen in a little while. So come out to that Saturday. You can get more information about that on our website as well. Now, there's also a welcome station that maybe you've seen out there. There's a really bright orange wall. After service, there's a Next Steps uh, station that there will be people there that can answer any questions about anything that we talked about here uh, or get you more information about what you see in your, in your online bulletin as well. So uh, I think that's all I got. Pastor Scott, you're up, man. Great, man. All Thanks, right. Jake. Thanks for this morning. Um, yeah, glad to see you guys this morning. Uh, one of the things, um, if you notice, if you look in the back as you come in, actually we have them tucked away in, the, I guess it's the Pentagon room, or I don't know, the Situation Room. That's what we've got now. So we started about, uh, we ended, what, uh, March last year, this year, with uh, two people back in a tech booth, and now on a Sunday morning, we're going to have, I think, starting next week, seven or eight people just running the tech side of it on the back. And uh, so if you see them, if God maybe wants you, <laughs> prompting you to possibly jump in, uh, I know they have a couple other pieces there uh, if you want to get in on that. But I want to say thanks to all you guys out in front and in the, in the room back there, the Situation Room. Uh, thanks for doing this. Um, today is our last day on this sermon series on how shall we then live. And uh, we're going to end it with this idea or this theme that's in the Bible about the end. And the real question is, how should we live in the end times? And I know a lot of us are wondering about that, especially with the Browns having a winning season. It's um, definitely posing that question. What are we seeing? Um, but I uh, know, actually, here in the last six, seven months, I have had more conversations. I have heard more people talk about seeing more emails, uh, had things sent to me uh, about the end times and are we in the end times than I ever had in, in my entire ministry, just the, as I've been in ministry for 25 years. I've, I've never seen anything like the last six or seven months. And, and the question is, are we in the end times? With the global pandemic, obviously, that's happening, and, and seeing the world literally brought to its knees all at once, like that has this overtone of prof prophecy and, and seeing that happen in Scripture and, and the prediction that it will happen. It, it feels maybe a little more imminent to us when we look at what's going on in our country and the level of chaos, the level of anarchy. Like we could see that kind of anarchy, and it's prophesied in Scripture, but to see it happening in our own nation makes us wonder. If you're watching the Middle East, two different major pieces, you have now nations, Islamic nations, signing peace treaties with Israel, like, and that hints at prophecies, like Daniel talked about peace with Israel. And, and what does that mean, and is that what we're looking at? If you look at the rise of Turkey, and I don't know whether you're watching Turkey, uh, Iran seems like the nation you should watch. Actually, Turkey is now on the rise with Pre President Erdogan. 
And what he is wanting to do is taking over of Libya and the exporting of, of terrorists to all these different hotspots. I mean, he's just, he's about it. And he's about, he's made it very clear about three or four months ago, his mission is to establish a 10-nation caliphate again. Which, if you look in history, some of the top 10, in the top 10 empires in world history was the Ottoman Empire, which was an Islamic empire, 10-nation caliphate. And you had two other caliphates after that that are bigger than that. And, and that's something he's wanting to bring back. And that hints at prophecy. Now, is that what that is? Is that not what it is? I don't know. But all these things are swirling around. And it leaves us asking, is this the end? And if it is the end, and even if it isn't, how then, or how should we then live? So first thing, and most important thing, but wanna, I want to read just, it's a simple verse. We often read it when we're talking about, hey, look, we should tell people about the good news of Jesus. And it's Acts 1.8. And Jesus is giving his final words to disciples, and then he ascends into heaven. And he says this in Acts Chapter 1, verse 6 through 9, or actually through 11, it says this. So when they had come together, the disciples asked him, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? So they're like, are you going to bring heaven down? Are we going to do this thing? And Jesus says this. He says, it's not for you to know the times or the seasons, but you're going to receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. And that's typically where we stop. And we say, okay, look, it's important for us to tell people, tell this world about Jesus. But the rest of these three verses here have significance to this context. And when he had said these things, as they were looking on, he was lifted up, and a cloud took him out of their sight. And while they were gazing up into heaven as he went, behold, two men stood by them in white robes, angels, and they said, guys, my translation, why are you looking up in heaven? Jesus, who was just taken up to you, uh, just taken from you up to heaven, will come in the same way as you saw him go into heaven. And it's this prediction that Jesus is going to come back. So when we talk about the end times and what's going to happen and how should we then live, the first thing we have to understand above everything is the whole story revolves around Jesus. Our king is coming back. Amen? Our king is coming back. Amen. Amen. I don't know if you're doing that online, kids, I'll, you know, we're watching at home. Do I have to say amen? That'd be awkward at home, but I get it. Um, he's coming back. In fact, if you read through the New Testament, it says the return of Christ speaks of the return of Christ more than it does about the crucifixion and resurrection of Christ. Think about that. The return of Christ is mentioned more than the death and resurrection of Christ. 318 times versus 279 times. It's a big deal. And I think sometimes as we start to think about the end times, we get fixated on, on so many other things, and, and we, lose, we lose track, we lose focus on Christ, and that it's about him. So, what I want to do is we're going to talk a little bit about what this looks like, the end times. And, and this whole idea of Jesus returning is out of Scripture. Matthew 24, we just read Acts. Matthew 24 says this. Jesus says, Then will appear 
in heaven the sign of the Son of Man, and then all the tribes of the earth will mourn, and they will see the Son of Man coming on the clouds of heaven with power and great authority. 2 Thessalonians talks about this. Acts, we just read this. It's a physical return. He's not going to farm it out. It's not a spiritualization. It's not a metaphor. It's not an allegory. It's the real deal. He's coming back. And so what's the next event on the prophetic calendar? What's the thing that we're looking for as Christians? I'm glad you asked. Because I'm going to give you all the answers. All the correct ones. Um, no. So here's some of the events, not necessarily in order, but these are the big events. It includes Christ obviously returning from heaven. It includes a rapture for sure, if not raptures. It includes the emergence of the Antichrist. It includes a seven-year tribulation. It includes the wrath of God being poured out on this earth and and it seems like the tribulation and the wrath are together, but not sure. Climactic battle of Armageddon, where Christ beats Satan. And then the final judgment of Jesus, the final judgments of Jesus, and the beginning of his thousand-year reign here on earth. So those are the, the major pieces of it. Let me just kind of work through these real quickly. The, the Antichrist is, is, a, is literally a person. He's called the man of lawlessness. Daniel chapter 7 through 11 talks a lot about the Antichrist. You read about him in Revelation as well. Paul wrote this. He talks about the Antichrist rising to power before Jesus returns. Thessalonians chapter 2, it says this. Let no one deceive you in any way, for, on, for that day when Christ returns will not come unless the rebellion comes first and the man of lawlessness is revealed. The son of destruction. So you have all these different words for the Antichrist. Man of lawlessness, son of destruction. Opposes and exalts himself against every so-called God or object of worship so that he takes his seat in the temple of God, proclaiming himself to be God. And don't you remember when I was with you, I told you these things. So the Antichrist ends up setting himself up as God, controlling the world, ruling the world, he gives his mark. He's called the beast as well, and, and the beef is, is a symbol of, of him being violent. He's a violent person, kills people who don't follow him. He's beast-like in how he behaves. He's driven by Satan, energized by Satan, and everything, everyone that's part of the kingdom of God will receive that hate. So that's the Antichrist comes before the return of Christ, is what Paul says. And then Paul talks about this idea of raptures. That that's, uh, The rapture is the word we use, but he says in 1 Thessalonians 4, 17, when Christ returns, we the dead in Christ will rise first, then we who are alive and who are left will be caught up together with him in the clouds. So this idea of rapture is the idea that if you and I, if he comes right now, we're caught up and literally taken up into his presence to be with him as he's coming. Uh, now, the, as you read through scripture, the more you read, the more y you see there, there's for sure at least one being caught up together, one rapture. But there could be different ones. It depends. 
depends on what you believe and how where you start and and so there's this idea that a rapture is going to happen before any before the tribulation before anything like really bad starts to happen in terms of God's wrath so there's this rapture here but then there's this other scripture that seems to kind of imply that it could happen in the middle of that seven-year period like halfway through, like three and a half years in, there could be one. And then if you look at another verse, it seems like, well, it's happening at the end. So depending on what you believe or how you interpret this verse or that verse, there could be at least one rapture, if not two different raptures. Not sure. So, and it all centers around the tribulation. Now, I'll tell you which one I'm a fan of. Anybody with me? I'm the get me out of here before it all starts guy, right? So they call it like a pre-tribulation, a mid-tribulation rapture, and then a post-tribulation rapture. Get me on the pre, right? Now, theologically, I can say this with certainty. The best position out there is a pan-tribulation rapture, which means it will pan out in the end. Just go there. Our denomination doesn't take a position on this, on when the rapture is or how many or whatever it doesn't because it seems it's unclear at least it seems not clear enough to have a position on how about that something's gonna happen though the other idea here is a tribulation i just mentioned this and jesus talked about this in matthew 24 and i just i just want to read that to you uh, matthew 24 verse 21 he says this um let me find it here oh i got the wrong wrong side of it He says, for then there will be great tribulation, such as not been from the beginning of the world until now, no, and never will be. And if those days had not been cut short, no human being would be saved. But for the sake of the elect, those days will be cut short. So the idea of a tribulation is this. This world is yet to see something like this. It's going to be that bad. It's that horrific. We have never, ever seen what's coming. Now, it seems as you read through Revelation, it talks about seven years. Catastrophic events and suffering that happens before Christ's return. Now, there's another aspect of the end times, and it's the wrath of God. I want to talk about the wrath of God in two ways. There's, there's this wrath of God, Paul writes about it in Thessalonians, where he, 2 Thessalonians, where he talks about this restrainer of evil will be removed. So there's an aspect of the wrath of God that's called, called God's abandonment wrath, which means, which you're like, what? What does that mean? Well, it means he literally pulls the restraining presence, which we're not sure who that is, but he pulls the restraint away so that evil is completely allowed to run free. So when evil is allowed to, to run free, it's not a sign that evil is winning. It's a sign of judgment. It's actually that God has allowed evil to go. So when evil goes unrestrained, that is a sign 
Not only that, there's another aspect of the wrath of God, which is the one we're more used to understanding, and that is the expressed wrath, where judgment comes in, in different forms. And, and what happens is it's, it's unclear. It seems like you can make a pretty strong case that in the tribulation, God's wrath is poured out, although it never says it specifically, but the, the connection is drawn. And you see the seven bowls of God's wrath. Revelation talks about the wrath of God, the bowls and the trumpets, and, and that's wrath. And it seems to happen within that tribulation. The wrath of God is coming, and, and there will be nothing like it that this world has ever seen. There's another word, though, that is really important to understand during these times, and this is a word spared, kept from. It's important to understand that as we look at the end times, the church will not be spared from the wrath of the Antichrist. We won't. But we will be spared from the wrath of God. Scripture says it multiple times. It says it in Romans 5. It says it again in and First Thessalonians, that first letter Paul wrote to the Thessalonian church, he said this, Jesus who delivers us from the wrath to come. Revelations talks about this in chapter 3. First uh, Thessalonians chapter 5 goes on to say we're not appointed to experience his wrath. I mean, that's really good news. Like, that's really good news. <laughs> we're not going to experience that wrath, whatever the seven trumpets are and the bowls. Like, Scripture says it repeatedly. The other piece here, uh, as we get towards the end, is Armageddon. So that comes at the end of the seven years of tribulation, and Armageddon is where the Antichrist gathers his entire army, and he wages war on Israel, and he's coming to destroy it. And Christ comes, and in that moment, it, it, I love scripture. It says he breathes. He breathes. Jesus just simply breathes, and he wins. I just love that. Like, this isn't a fight. I know when I was a kid, I was like, how is Jesus going to beat Satan by doing this? Like, it's not, it's not a battle battle. Jesus just, he just wins. He's all powerful. Armageddon happens, and then what you have is following Armageddon is judgments. Judgments for those who did not choose faith in Christ, and, and, and then the judgment seat for those who followed Christ. And then there's a thousand-year reign, new heaven, new earth. Now, if you ask me how convinced am I am of the order, uh, correct interpretation, I'm not. I, I'm, I'm maybe like a three or a four on how this all falls out and what falls in and what doesn't. And I just, uh, to me, it's in there, and I'm not sure how it all works out. I am a 10, and the church has been a 10, for 2,000 years, that Christ is going to return, he is going to destroy Satan, and he's going to win. I'm a, I'm a 10 on that one. I'll die for that one. The other stuff and how it works out, not so much. And what Jesus said, with all that in place, he said, look, this, these are the signs you need to see, or that you will see, when the end is near. Several things. He says this, there's going to be wars, there's going to be earthquakes and famines. Matthew chapter 24 is a great passage where Jesus talks the most about the end. And this is what he says. Wars, earthquakes, famines. He talks about how 
false Christs and prophets will perform great signs and miracles, wonders. The signs in the heaven will be the sun will darken, the moon will give its light, stars will fail. There will be a universal sign of the end. And then he says in, in Matthew 24, he says something like, what, really? Like, did he really say that? He says this in verse 14. The one who endures the end will be saved, and this gospel of the kingdom will pro be proclaimed throughout the whole world as a testimony to all nations, and then the end will come. The sign, the sign that Christ is coming is when the gospel is preached to all the nations. Huh. So right now, there's about 5% of the world's population, they're estimating, that has not heard the gospel preached to them. That's about 300 million people, which is crazy. Only 5% left. And, and you have organizations like Wycliffe, uh, Bible translators, and some others that are trying to translate the Bible to get the good news out there. It was one of the things that compelled the start of this denomination. It was an alliance of believers who took seriously this call to go and preach the gospel. It's part of our commission. But those are the signs. Those are the major ones that Christ talks about. So how should we then live in light of all of this? Well, Jesus says in Matthew chapter 24 and 25, towards the end of 24 and then all of 25 is just simply this warning and, and these metaphors of being on the alert. He talks about how he's going to be a thief in the night, and, and he says this in Matthew chapter 24, verse 40. For as in the days before the flood, they were eating, drinking, marrying, and giving in marriage until the day when Noah given, or, uh, until the day of Noah entered the ark, and they were unaware until the flood came and swept them all away, so will be the coming of the Son of Man. Two men will be left in the field. One will be taken, one will be left. Two women will be grinding at the mill. One will be taken, one will be left. Therefore, stay awake. For you do not know on what day your Lord is coming. He goes on to talk about a servant and the master of the house. And the master left the servant in charge of the house. Make sure that you're taking care of the house talks about a parable of ten virgins, and, and, and there was five, they were there waiting for the groom to come for the wedding. And so they had lamps, as tradition would have it, they had lamps, just in case he came later in the day, supposed to come during the day, but what if he came at night? And five of the virgins who had lamps with the oil and the wicks, five of them weren't ready, and five of them actually got ready. And so then all of a sudden he doesn't come, and it's dark, and the five that weren't ready are like, oh, no, we're not ready. And they said, can we have? And they said, no, you can't have ours because we have to stay ready. And then wouldn't you know it, the five go and try to find some oil and a wick or whatever to get ready, and the bridegroom comes, and he goes in. They shut the doors, and the party starts, and those who were ready were brought in, and those who weren't were left out. And he says, be ready. It's going to come like a thief in the night. So last night, at 10 o'clock, I'm about ready to go to bed, and I'm just talking to Joe, just was walking into in the bedroom, and um, I just, I heard, I heard one of our chickens just going crazy out there, just clucking away, like, but not a good cluck, like, I won't do it, just spare you all, but this chicken was going crazy, and I'm like, 
it's 10 o'clock at night. It's dark. And then I was like, I think that chicken's actually outside the hen house. Now, if you know anything about chickens, they're blind at night. Like, literally, they can't see anything. They have no night vision whatsoever. They don't do anything in the dark. You can walk right up to a chicken. It'll be awake, but it can't see you. And it won't run or do anything. It'll just stay there. So when you hear a chicken, if you have ever had chickens, if you ever have livestock, you're always paying attention to at night, right? Like, if they're making sounds, something's going on. So I'm like, oh, what's going on? So I go out there, and they're, I got all my chickens. They're outside the, the, the chicken coop, and I'm like, oh, boy, what's going on? So I go in the chicken coop. I open it up, and there's a possum, a thief, a thief inside my chicken coop. And I'm like, it was just at this moment God just said, Scott, I'm giving you one. I'm just, this is a gift. Because possums eat chickens. They eat their eggs and they eat chickens. And if you're not ready, if you're not prepared to hear the signs, you'll go to bed and you'll wake up thinking you're going to have some eggs in the morning and you're not. There's going to be scrambled eggs and there's going to be fish tender or uh, chicken tenders all over your chicken coop. Like, they're going to eat them. And uh, so last night, um, let's just say Scott did not give the, the wrath of abandonment. Scott brought a different kind of wrath last night. Um, but that's the piece of it. It just, it just hit me like I didn't have on the schedule, and that's one of the things here. The, the master of the house never, Jesus says, he never knows when the thief is coming. If he did, he would plan for it. But the whole point is Jesus says, I'm coming like a thief in the night. You, you don't know when it's coming. You just have to be ready. And how do we get ready? It's, it's not rocket science. Peter says, you need to be found by Jesus when he comes. Holy without blemish, growing in the grace and the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. That's what Peter said in his second letter, chapter 3. Are, are you without spot? Are you pure right now? Are you, are you without blemish, as it were, holy? Are you growing? Or have we plateaued? Or are we dying out in our faith? Are we ready? It just seems like it's so far away. How do, you, how do you and I live like it's going to happen now? It's hard to stay on watch. It just is. It's hard to stay on watch. I remember always hearing that, and there's always this tension here, right, of... Um, the church, I, I remember back in the 70s watching this movie, Thief in the Night. I don't know, did anybody else watch that thing? That movie freaked me out. Like, that was back when I was a kid. That freaked me out. And the church, it seems like the church is forever in this tension of, of saying, hey, look, he's coming, it's going to happen, and you need to be ready. And part of it is it, like, freaks us out, and, and that's not good, because Christ says, no, you shouldn't be afraid of my coming. And yet, on the other hand, if you don't say it enough, you get over here and you don't even think about it. And so there's somewhere in the middle here where we're supposed to live with the tension of this, not to freak out, but not to be lax, but just keep being prepared. How was I prepared even for the chickens? Well, 
I know, I know if a chicken is outside and if I know a chicken's squawking late at night, something's wrong. And I have a gun nearby, ready to go. I'm ready. It was one of those moments, I, I, I mean, I just was like, wow, I was ready. I kind of shocked myself. We've had other chickens, I mean, I, I don't have a good track record. We just had some other meat birds and we had some hawks. We had hawks kill like six or seven of them before we finally figured out, hey, there's hawks killing our chickens. Like, one, two, three, four, five. Third thing, share the good news. Uh, the most repeated instruction Jesus keeps saying towards the end of his life is, look, I, I'm preparing you. You've got to go. You've got to go. You've got to go share. You've got to go tell this world. It's this last word he says here in Acts 1.8. He says it in Matthew. He says it in other places. Paul keeps talking about living for sharing and, and spreading the good news of Christ. And then he says this thing, the, the end will come when the gospel is shared throughout the, the world. Th this is the mission of anyone who would follow Christ. This is why we exist, is to glorify God. And one of them is connected to his mission that loves this world. A and you ask, well, why has God not come? Why has it been 2,000 years? I'll tell you the biggest reasons. He doesn't want to judge anyone. He doesn't want to judge one person. He wants everyone to come and to believe. Think about that. He is delaying. He is patient so that all would come. And he's put it on us to share, and that's why we keep doing this. That's why we talk so much about, hey, are you getting into relationship with your neighbors and with those who are connect with you in life, whether it's school, work, or whatever? Are you sharing? Will he find you sharing and telling people about him? Wouldn't that be cool? He's coming, and you're in the middle of a conversation telling somebody about Jesus? I mean, that would be cool. Final thing. I'm going to invite the team to come out. We'll, we'll close with this, this one last thought. Paul writes, he's writing to the church because they're really just, just like disturbed and anxious about did they miss out, did they not miss out on Christ. And, and he said, look, don't fear. Don't worry. Comfort one another. With this thing, no matter what the circumstances there are, Christ will bring all things to a good end. That's 1 Thessalonians 4.18. No matter what the circumstances, Christ will bring all things to a good end. What are your circumstances? No matter what they are, right? What are they right now? Are you... Afraid? Are you depressed? Are you discouraged? I mean, some of you are still at home. Are you discouraged? Hard to get out? I don't know what life looks like for you. I don't know what path you're on. I, I want you to hear this. Christ is going to come. And he's going to turn all of this. For those who love him, he is going to turn it into good. He's going to take your life going to take mine and pull it into his and his kingdom. 
So I think part of this, as we sing this song here at the end, is just to soak in that comfort, soak in that encouragement. Not to leave here afraid, but to leave here encouraged, comforted. Our King's coming back. Let's stand together.
begin to even so come Lord Jesus come Lord would you come we want you to come your word ends with come quickly come quickly Jesus Jesus, would you give a gift to your people right now, those who are watching and listening online, those in this room, would you release your comfort? Would you release strength? Would you send us out with with you and that knowledge? You will protect us. If you have this, you've got a plan. seated for a second. I want to invite Kevin up. Uh, our church mission is to glorify God by worshiping him, connected to him, connected to each other, his family, and connected to his mission. And uh, what that looks like is he just says, look, I want you to go and make disciples. So each of us has this thing of being a disciple and making disciples. And he says, in the middle of that, I, my presence is going to fill you it's going to transform your life, but it's going to just spill out of you, and, and it's going to transform this world. And I just want to tell you, a, it's, a, it's a freshwater story, right? It, it, it's God's freshwater in us, but it's freshwater church. So everybody say hi to Kevin. All right, so Kevin's got a cool story here. Yeah, a few weeks ago, um, my wife Katie was out, and she had some questions regarding some weeds that she saw growing. And so she looked, and she saw our neighbor, Dee, who's lived next to us for about 14 years, and Dee and my wife like to talk, love to talk about gardening questions, which I typically could care less about. But my wife asked <laughs> Dee to come over, and she has this, you know, to ask her what this weed is growing by the side of her house. And typically, I'd be like, yeah, okay, whatever. But I don't know. I felt compelled to go along with them. So they go over, and um, Dee is, looks down at the weed, and she's looking at it, and she gives her analysis, and as she's bent over, all of a sudden as she goes to get up, she's like, oh, 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 I'm in pain, I can't move. And she's literally bent over, crying out in pain, and she can't move. And, uh, and we're like, well, what's wrong? She says, it's my back, I got the sciatica, I've got an MRI, but I literally, she can't move. And I'm standing there, and I'm thinking to myself, okay, I know Jesus, and Jesus can heal. Now, do I open my mouth and say to Dee, you know, do you want me to pray for you, or just keep my mouth shut and don't say anything? And I think all of us probably have been in that situation, right? Finally, I'm thinking, this woman's really in pain. So I say to her, Dee, would it be okay if I prayed for you? And as she's been, oh, yes, please pray for me. Now, Dee's a Christian, okay, and I invited her to church many times, and I wasn't sure at this point if she was going to church or not, but she's like, yeah, please pray for me. I said, well, Dee, exactly, where is the pain? So she, she points it out in her lower back. I said, okay, well, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to pray that God is going to heal, okay? So I, I put my hand on her back, and immediately as soon, now, she has a coat on, okay? So I'm not putting it right on her skin. I put my hand exactly where the pain is, and as soon as I put my hand on the coat, my hand is very warm. 
And I'm thinking to myself, okay, I've had this sensation before. I've experienced this when I was in Senegal where God did some really amazing things. So I'm like, now I'm encouraged, right? Something is happening. So I start praying for, you know, praying that God is going to bring miraculous healing and praying, you know, God is a healer. And as I finish praying, I say to D, I say, D, what do you believe the Holy Spirit is saying to you? <laughs> and she, she says, he's telling me to get up and walk. And she gets up. And she takes the first few steps, and she says, it's gone! It's gone! Praise Jesus! It's gone! And she walks around the side of our house, and she's going down across our yard. Praise Jesus! It's gone! It's gone! The pain is gone! <laughs> and her husband is driving up the driveway, and he sees his wife going, literally waving, right? And yelling. And he's like yelling at the car door, what's wrong? What's wrong? And I'm thinking, he's going to call an ambulance. <laughs> right? I can see it happening right now as I'm about 100 feet behind her. And finally she runs over and all of a sudden he gets this huge smile. He waves back, you know, like, oh, hey. No. So um, I shared this story with the staff here a couple of weeks ago. And Scott had asked me, you know, you, can you share this with the church? I said, well, let me, let me talk to Dee and make sure that she's okay with that. So last week I saw her outside and I go out and I say to her, hey, you know, how's that back doing? Oh, the back is great. Yeah, praise Jesus. <laughs> I said, uh, well, Dee, wouldn't it be okay if I shared this with a few people at church? You're a few people. <laughs> and she uh, says, yes, absolutely. I want the world to know what Jesus has hey, done. Amen. Hey, amen. How about it? I said, okay, well, I'll just share it with a few people. So, <laughs> no, well, praise Jesus, right? I mean, that is the testimony Amen. of what Jesus has done, right? And what Jesus wants us to do. And I, you know, honestly, I was in that period of doubt myself. Like, do I take the step? Do I pray for? Do I not pray for? And Jesus is like saying, you know what? Unless you pray for it, I'm not going to do anything. And I think that's what Jesus is saying to all of us, right? Yes. Unless you come forward, you take the step. I'm not going to do anything. But if you take the step of faith, you come forward, let me be the Lord Jesus, right? Let me be the God, uh, the sovereign God of the universe. So that's why we share the testimony to give everybody the opportunity that no matter, you know, if, if you feel like you have a need for healing, we want to pray for you. We want to see what the Lord Jesus is going to do. Yeah, and before we do that... Um as we go, we're obviously new traditions, new things. Uh, giving boxes are in the back. Uh, ushers will we'll let you guys go. If you want to come down for prayer, we'd love to do that. But uh, let's just hear it for Jesus first uh, before, we, uh, before we quick. Amen. God bless you guys. Have a great week. Hopefully we'll see you around uh, this next week.